Margin Call is the podcast that gives you behind-the-scenes access to the ups and downs of working in the Forex CFD industry. We interview the people that keep the show on the road, giving you insight into what makes the industry tick. The series is guest-hosted by myself, Jordan Michaelides, and produced by the team at Neural Media. To learn more, visit gomarkets.com slash podcast. That's G-O-M-A-R-K-E-T-S dot com slash podcast. Or take a look at the Go Market suite of products at gomarkets.com.au. Go Markets is a derivatives broker and Jordan Michaelides is the managing director of Neural Media. All opinions expressed by Jordan and podcast guests are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Go Markets, an AFSL license holder. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for financial decisions nor as an indication of future performance. Clients of Go Markets may hold positions in the derivatives mentioned. A financial services guide and product disclosure statement for our products are available at gomarkets.com. In this episode, we spoke with V Lung Fan. V is the founder of Track Record Asia and former head of trading across multiple divisions for Deutsche Bank and Morgan Stanley in Asia. Track Record Asia is a financial trading academy for trading teams in banks and professional traders alike, designed to teach you the framework learnt in these days across first-class institutions. There were many questions left unanswered from our previous chat in Season 1, and this is another great one, good opportunity to get back in and talk about principles in particular. Uh, We spoke about Track Record Asia's philosophy and approach to risk management, his approach to trading, global state of affairs and of course the hong kong protests and china if you like the episode leave us a rating on your podcast app or share with your friends by taking a screenshot and posting on your instagram story tagging at go markets in the process show notes and all previous guests are at gomarkets.com slash podcast with that being said let's get into the episode with v lung fan v how are you? Good, how are you? Not too bad. Um, look, last time we spoke in your original interview, we, we covered a lot. Um, you know, I, I know today, while you've had a storied background in FX interest rates and, and equity markets, you've worked in many different cities. And I think today now you, you mainly focus on training people and, and people that or traders that can jump into any team, no matter what asset class that they're focusing on. Um, whatever strategy that they're focusing on, that's the general philosophy of Trading Record Asia. So, my my question is, uh, what are your actual trading principles? Like, what are the key components that you're teaching people as part of this this program? Right. And so, this so track record, uh, we focus on uh, risk management principles uh, first and foremost. Right, uh, I think. Especially, it's especially relevant for the retail sector is that because there's so much out there, all sort of self-proclaimed trading guru where they tell you stupid things like uh, you gotta have, uh, you gotta make money every day, make money every week, all that nonsense. It's, it's just rubbish, <laughs> right? Because um, especially nowadays, if you have no edge, it's almost impossible to make money consistently every day, right? Uh, mm. In a bank, it's possible because uh, you are running a bank franchise as a business. It's much like a money-changing business. 
You can, the guy makes money every day, right? He just sits there and makes a, a two-way price. Some people, just, you buy from him and you sell to him and he makes, makes the spread. That's how the bank makes money every day. But in a hedge fund or, yeah. or proprietary trading or retail trading, you don't buy at the bid and sell at the offer, right? You, you have to cross the bid offer spreads. Um, so it is not about making money all the time. It is doing trades that have good risk reward in that when you make money, you make a lot of money, but when you lose money, you don't lose as much as when you make. So over long periods of time, you can mm-hmm. imagine, it doesn't matter. Even your 50-50, uh, which theoretically, you shouldn't be worse than 50-50 over long periods of time. If you have absolutely no idea what you're doing, it's almost impossible to be uh, less than 50-50, right? Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, over long periods of time, you have the correct risk reward, you will uh, make money. And that that whole it seems like that whole risk reward element yes. is the setup to how yes. you approach everything. So, what is the in your mind like? How do you make that evaluation? Because I wouldn't, I, I can't see you making it based on, uh, you know, generally, oh, you got to bet, you know, fifty to one or something like that. It, it, I, I'm guessing it would be based on a percentage of capital that you're willing to risk yeah, on each Yeah, bet? so it's a, it's, a, it's a good place to start where you think about how much capital you have and how much to allocate to each bet, right? To begin with, to if you're an absolute beginner, risk no more than a 1% of your capital per trade. If you think about that, that means you need to be wrong 100 times in a row before you bust your uh, account, right? That's a good way to start. If, you get, if you're going to be wrong 100 times in a row, you should consider something else, right? Or at least try to do what you've always done or the opposite, right? And then there's a lot of value in being wrong 100 times in a row. Uh, your friends will become really rich when you're, you're down. You're, you're wrong 10 times in a row. You tell everybody about it, about it and they'll bet against you and everybody becomes rich in the process. But uh, you're exactly right. It is about risk-reward. It mm-hmm. is about the sizing of your the trades, uh, making sure that over long periods of time, you have the ability to stay stay the, the last the distance. Uh, most where, where most retail traders go wrong is that they start to bet more and more as they get worse and worse, right? They keep thinking, oh, I, I must make back this money that I've lost, so they double up. Uh, it go double or nothing, and of course, invariably, it's nothing, right? Mm. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, it's just sort of the commitment and consistency principle personified. Like you, yes. you've lost money, okay, yes, I've correct. got to make it yes. back the same way by losing more money. <laughs> Do you, okay. So it seems like from a risk perspective, you you generally highlight, you know, one to five percent per trade. I think that seems to be the the standard amongst professionals. Is I, I, you're willing I think you, you, to, you know, it's, it's good if you're absolutely beginner. It starts you start with no more than one percent, and you find yourself getting better in the process. Then you start to increase, right? Uh, what professionals do? Yes, you're correct, right? What professionals do better than the non-professionals is that they're always uh, cognizant of their stop losses, meaning how much they can lose before they can lo- before they lose their jobs or how much they can lose before they get stopped out mm. for the year. So there's no, as you can imagine, when you're trading for a bank or a hedge fund, there's no replenishing your capital, right? You're kind of like, hey, 
boss, you know, I was unlucky. Uh, I didn't know Trump was going to do this stupid tweet. Uh, how about you give me more capital? Obviously, no, right? They told you you have $10 million to lose. <laughs> and if you lose $10 million, you lose your job, right? Yeah. Yeah. But the, the, the retail trader is always, if they put in, say, they put 10K into their account or they put 20K, when they go, when they start to do badly, they, they, they will take on the double or nothing attitude, right? And uh, they, they, they'll tell themselves, worst case, you know, I'm going to start saving again and put back more money, put in more money. And invariably, that's what they do. Whatever you wish for, it comes true, right? You blow up your account and you will have to replenish the account. Mm. So it seems like, yeah, because I remember when I first started out in trading and I was looking at like oil futures. I don't know why oil futures were the thing for me, but I had this classic, you know, you go on zero hedge and you've got some viewpoint of the world that oil is going to go to 150 a barrel or something ridiculous like that. But what I would do is I would bet way too much of the capital that I had. And the end result was I had no capital. Yeah. So it seems like even if you've got two grand, five grand, 10 grand, if it's a small amount, just literally don't even worry about the size of capital that you have, just 1% one, 1 of that. Yeah. And then find a broker who essentially will allow you to trade within the minimums, which is, I think, in Australia, at least most retail FX brokers. Yeah. You know, particularly like go markets allow you to do yeah. that. So that's that's I think that's at least that's what I've learned from being in the institutional side yeah, of things. So um, yeah, so 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 like go markets. The, the if you use the MT four platform, it's quite intuitive, right? It shows you you can have really really small sizes, and that's that's the right way to start. You know, um, I think the thing that you did almost every retail trader go through the same thing. They say, oh, I'll buy gold, I'm going to buy oil. <laughs> and they, they always have this feeling, you know, the, that's how most retail traders and traders which are really not going to succeed in the long run, they feel when they make money, they make not enough. They have this feeling of, it's not enough, I need more because my size, the size I did was too small or when they lose and when they lose money, it's too much, right? And then they, they, they'll, they'll have this yeah. feeling all the time when they make money, it's never enough. and they lose money, it's often too much. And that's because they haven't come down to the realization that trading is not, is not uh, something that you do for the short term. You're not trying to, trying to make a bazillion dollars in five trades, right? Everybody thinks that if they start extrapolating and say, okay, if I, I have 10K account, I'm going to make 3K on this trade and then next trade, I'm going to make 20k or then oh, well, you start extrapolating right in in six 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 months i'm gonna have 500k right <laughs> that's the yeah that's it's, the it's classic not, yeah. thing is you, particularly when you're at that stage as you start uh theorizing what you're going to to have in the long run which i don't think any retail trader has ever achieved I, at least i haven't met one that that has achieved that so how do you counteract that thought process is it again focusing on uh, realistic returns or is there something else there in particular? Yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly right. So, see, it has to be returns, right? So, let's just say you think that you're going to make 20K. How much do you have to risk to make 20K, right? Most of the time, <laughs> I think two to one risk reward is, is good. It's, it's really good. So, you have to risk 10K to make 20K. Do you have 10K? If not, then 
you need to be really, really good over long periods of time to achieve that. It is very, very unlikely. And there's a lot of capital in this world. Mm. There's a lot of capital in this world. There's uh, copy trading platforms where you know, random people give you money to trade if you just have a good trading record. Right? Um, and that's, that's what we do. We, t- we teach uh, trade record as, a, as an incubation program where we teach people how to trade not worried about how much capital you have right now because it doesn't really matter how much you have because if you are good at trading capital will come look for you there's so much money in this world right <laughs> it just happens this happens that it's not in your pocket but it's in everybody else's pocket yeah but the world has so much capital but the world has not enough people who can manage this capital or so effectively manage it yes effectively manage it i mean effectively manage it of course everybody can do it right but effectively manage it effectively grow the capital it's very difficult to find people who can and that's why hedge fund managers get paid slots of money right because they can manage large amounts of capital without affecting without it affecting their psychology or the way that they trade Mm. when you look then that reward profile so that two to one profile how are you coming to because I know you you've spoken a lot in the past about um, you know certain technical positions uh, you know that, that may be showcasing on a chart. Do you have a general process for identifying certain markets that you want to look at? How do you sort of approach all that? Uh, yeah, um, but you know that 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 is just the initial stage right initial part of the trading process and uh, and again uh, this is where the retail sector the retail trading uh, traders they get it wrong they're, they're always so focused on should I use fundamentals should I use technicals is there a secret there's no secret right use both why use one <laughs> I don't understand why why is it necessary to just focus on one right learn of course you should focus on one to start but uh, continue to learn always learn I've seen traders who are pure fundamentalists I've seen traders who are pure technical and as analysts right uh, they use only technicals and I've seen people who use both right and it's not one or the other that make them succeed really none right what makes them succeed is the risk management framework again I reiterate it is that when they make money they make a lot of money when they lose money they don't lose as much as when they make whereas the traders who tend to blow up your account the traders do not last the distance are those the traders that when they make money it doesn't seem enough right? but when they lose it is too much and they lose a lot more so you will go through uh the process of trading where you make small amounts of money, lower periods of time, like maybe three weeks, four weeks, right? And then you lose it all in three days. Invariably, it's on two trades, right? Or one trade. Or it's okay. three trades, but it's the same thing, right? You 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 set, buy oil, goes down, you get angry, you buy more, and it goes down, and you buy more, and you, you go bankrupt, and get stopped out, right? Yeah. Okay, so it, it seems that that risk management element is... Is crucial. I think that that's common amongst a lot of people we've spoken to, and and having a framework to really hold back your natural behaviors as a human being is sort of 
key to that, it seems. I think that's sort of where a lot of your your training would focus by having a system. You can then prevent yourself from from doing what most retail traders do. Yes, correct. Yeah. Yeah, so I think that's the key takeaway there from from novices, novices that are the looking at trading, that are looking at this sort of stuff. I think that the main thing is if you can get risk management down pat, then the other stuff, you know, if you like you said, the upside might be there for whatever trade. Like some people just find it and it's a bonus if you get it. But in most trades you should be looking for, you know, a a better way of managing your downside and a fair enough upside. Like you shouldn't I think what's key there is you shouldn't be always looking at a trade based on how good it makes you feel <laughs> and how much you're going to theorize that you're going to, you're going to have 10 50,000 in your bank account after the fact it should actually be quite boring it should make you think oh okay i'm going to have 100 bucks 200 bucks 300 bucks yeah you know yeah. i think that's sort of the the key framework there um there's a lot going on at the moment with this whole trade war and we didn't get to talk much about economics or the you know the world of finance last time we spoke. I was listening to a fascinating interview from, actually Damien recommended this really great podcast. Um, I think it's called Sinocast or Sino Sino something. We'll make sure we link it in the show notes, but it was brilliant just talking generally about the US and China uh, relations. And then from there, I sort of, I found an interview with Kyle Bass on Real Vision about, the extent of capital leaving Hong Kong. And I think the week that we're recording right now, actually the last few days, there have been massive protests around extradition from Hong Kong to mainland China and this bill that's being introduced. So right. there's a lot going on in that space of the world right now. I was just curious, how do you see this sort of state of affairs currently in the globe? Wow, well, that's a big question. Um I think we live in interesting times. Uh, that's uh, we have uh, most likely it's the stupidest uh, U.S. president in history. <laughs> Publicly, the things that he says is uh, the worst that uh, has ever come up from uh, the White House before. So uh, policy making is uh, usually done at two, three a.m. in the morning when he wakes up to get a drink or go to the restroom or and he's finished watching his Fox and Friends, and uh, he just declares war, a trade war on imposed tariffs on random countries according to his whims and fancies, right? So this is a uh, interesting time because he, even you have a macro thesis, it could change on a dime because of, of the thing that uh, Trump tweets, right? But uh, underlying all this, there are trends, right? There are trends. Uh, uh, the trade war, I think, is just a lot of noise. Right. What is happening is actually a tech war, right? That's why they are taking Huawei so seriously. In that, uh, they're trying to curtail the progress that Huawei is making. The edge that China has in the five G is uh, almost insurmountable at current state, right? Because uh, they're so far ahead. The US has neglected it until now. Um, so, so because of that, you will see. Actually, regardless of what happens in the short run, in the longer run, uh, U.S. has this problem that they, uh, I think the hardliners in the U.S., they are unable to accept this change of uh, leadership. And I think they're only waking up to the fact that uh, 
uh, I'm sure some of them realize this for years now, but it's only right now that they have uh, someone in the White House that uh, uh, listens to them, right? So the fact is, that's why U.S. is very unhappy about the One Belt, One Road initiative, right? They keep on saying, ah, you know, it's a, it's a China manipulating people into borrowing money from them to build roads that nobody needs except they do. Uh, it's, a, it's a big deal. If it comes through, the people that come to build this road will invariably be Chinese companies using Chinese capital. And when it's done, they'll bring Chinese goods, right? And they'll bring raw material to China, right? And that... that makes China a lot more dominant than it is now across the, the along the whole one belt one road right if uh, US doesn't do anything about it mm. in 15 to 20 years the medium of uh, the, the lingua franca in Africa is not going to be English or French it will be Mandarin right it sounds far-fetched but that's the case right now right uh, uh, a lot of capital is exported from China to Africa. A lot of investments is done. They've built factories. And to progress, of course, you can speak English with them because they speak English. But if you really want to progress, if you're going to learn a foreign language in the first place, why not learn Mandarin? It's only difficult if you don't know anything about it when you're young, right? But if you're starting to learn at six years old, what's the difference, right? Why not learn Mandarin? And if you go to a lot of language schools in China, in Taiwan, You'll find there's a lot of uh, people from Latin America, Africa, uh, even some parts of Europe. They're all learning Mandarin, right? And I think uh, this is why you see a lot of angst in this world, right? Uh, that there is a tech war, there is a war to achieve dominance, right? Become the next superpower. And US is unwilling to go away quietly. It can't seem to. If you read um, Ray Dalio's uh, uh, blog posts and his listen to his uh, interviews of late. He talked about this as well. Is that this is not a, a war for trade about the war. It's a, a it's a war of ideology. There's two two countries, uh, two systems run very differently. Uh, so even you see if the, if you see the protest in Hong Kong right now, there's a lot of conspiracy theories oh, right? yeah. that, that all these protesters are being funded by uh, foreign nations. Are you serious? Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a uh, yeah. That's what most of the people not not in the protest they think, right? It's just a bunch of. Of course, the organizers know what they're doing, but a lot of uh, the protesters, that's what they claim, right? It's a uh, funded by foreign nations to just hang out there. Mm, I I don't know. It's a bit of, it's a bit of a weird one because that extradition um, policy is pretty hardcore. Like it, it essentially extends the ability for for the Hong Kong uh, authority to or chief of ex- executive to approve someone to be extradited. It, it basically gives legal framework for what's already happening. So, you know, the, the, background, the, the background context is that there's people who have been grabbed in Hong Kong yeah, and taken yeah. to China and in almost all cases, it's for political reasons. And almost right. all cases, it's criticizing uh xi jinping so and there's the fact that you know places like hong kong i've got a few friends living there there's just the the old history of of being very anti you know socialist government like what's what you'd find on the mainland and sort of the overbearing maoist policies that you're starting to see from 
from Z. But that that's an interesting one. I mean, because what happens to Hong Kong? Because each year they have the U.S. government, the Department of I don't know if it's the Secretary of State or which department does it, but they basically say, okay, we treat China and Hong Kong as two separate entities and we have different rules and regulations. So right now, Hong Kong isn't really impacted by the tariffs or anything like that. So you've still got massive, that's why I raise Hong Kong because you've still got massive outflows of capital coming out of uh, out of that country. And yeah, you're totally right. Like that whole... The, it's not a trade war. It's, it's it's definitely a war, a cold war for supremacy. You know what are the and it's it's like the cold. It's it is actually like the cold war all over again. Except in this instance, China is sort of a rising power, whereas Russia was embedded as a power already. But then you know you could say China right now has the backing of Russia as well. The thing on Africa is pretty interesting. The One Belt, One Road initiative, I think that is a definitely a topic um, of choice here in Australia. It, it really depends on which sphere of influence you come from and how that gets spun to you. It's either China's the big bad guy, like you said, just imposing massive amounts of debt on organizations, countries that can't afford it, or if you're in the Chinese sphere of influence, it's it's this amazing project which is extending prosperity to the world. Yeah. So it's um, it's tricky. I don't I don't know if you, it's too hard to pick sides, isn't it? But I'm curious as to where you are generally seeing this going. Like it sort of sounds like you believe that it's sort of an inevitability that because of the amount of money that China has invested in R and D. Um, you know, and, and the examples are Huawei and 5G. The examples are AI. They're way, way yes. ahead of in terms of AI. Um, you just have to go to Shenzhen to see how far ahead they are when it comes to robotics. So I'm curious as to, to how you see that. Like, you know, the 2020 elections coming up, do you see anything really changing or is this like a longer term thing that will play out in different things, like whether it's a trade war or... Um, WTO debates or something like that. Uh, yeah, so so I think uh, there's so many possible outcomes, and in the long run, we cannot know who is going to triumph in this uh, war ideology, right? And uh, it would be a mistake to assume that you need to pick a side to profit from it, right? And that, that's what most retail traders mm. do. They, they pick a side, they get really angry. Let's just say you're a Trump supporter. Right now, you're very agitated about the things that I'm saying about Trump. Or, and you just go on to financial Twitter. You go on Twitter and you, you follow some finance people, uh, trading uh, streams. And you'll find that this is, this is what goes on all the time. There's this great debate about whether he, he's doing it right, he's getting it wrong. China is evil or is it not evil? It's really, it doesn't right. The process we are not in trading to be right or to be wrong. We are in trading to be rich. Right. What truly matters is not who wins. Right. Is ultimately is a question we should ask ourselves: is how do we profit from this? Uh, so, what we know for sure is that there is a, a drive towards uh, uh, using more and more technology. Right. Like you say, yeah. If you look at um, the Processing companies, the companies that do uh, uh, processes, you'll find that they've been 
outperforming in the last three, four years, right? Uh, because there's this, uh, this AI, there's gaming, you know, esports is now a big thing in this world. There's uh, stadiums being sold out for people gather just to watch sports being played online, right? games being played online. Uh, these are the things that uh, are going to happen regardless of who wins or who loses, right? Uh, Australia is in a good spot in that regardless of is one belt, one road or not, uh, mm. over the long run, there will be roads being built, right? There will be connectivity. It doesn't really matter who does it. Who, it there's going to be this whole connection uh, across the, the continents, right? And you will be supplying the commodities. But the problem is that Australia somehow believes that they're still allied with the U.S. Like, seriously, why, why do you guys want to be allies with the U.S., right? Why? I'm not sure, right? Well, the the thing with Australia is that, um, and this is um, this is from my own uh, podcast on Uncommon, where we've we've spoken to geopolitical analysts about this, and the fact is that Australia, because of the nature of the nation, it's small um, in in population but large in landmass. We don't produce much here, and therefore we require massive free trade. We basically yes. require. Like any like Singapore of old, yeah. we we require massive, massive free trade, um, and because of that, we require to align with whoever is the world's naval power, and and in most cases, that is the world's superpower, yeah. um, and it's as simple as that. You know, we pay that we pay yeah. the price of being aligned with the US, and we pay the price in bodies. And that is that is a thing that has always existed, and before that, it was the UK. It was just that we were lucky during World War Two that the UK forced the change upon us. It's just in this era, we don't have that forcing function. It's sort of yeah, <laughs> we're stuck between the economic partner and the military partner, and it's it's very very hard. And I I you know this is going to take years to play out, and I I'm thinking about what is the forcing function. And I think the only thing that is is if China can successfully underwrite security in the region. But the thing is, they are nowhere near it. That's that's one thing where China really, really struggles and I've been paying attention to. And I think this is where the R&D push is coming from. You know, like uh, to be the world superpower... You, or any nation that can stand alone on its on its own, and that's the U.S., Israel, Singapore, uh, all really good examples of this. You've got to have a strong tech sector which develops your military industrial complex. Like all of those nations spend around three to five percent of their GDP on the military, which then filters down into tech sector anyway. So I think China's just pivoting themselves they're going from the exporter of people of labor in the world to an exporter of technology which will build up their military system which will then allow them to invest further in that and have results and that unfortunately just takes time for them you know like their their naval fleet they've got one aircraft craft carrier and it's it's not that good you know, compare that to the US, they've got six or seven. And they could probably spin out another five through production, uh, you know, shipbuilding, et cetera, in the space of a year or two. 
if they were, were into a full-on uh, war. That's one, that's one issue that people don't talk about is China, and that's probably why the one belt, one road thing is, is huge. If the US wanted to tomorrow, they could basically input a naval blockade on China and China could do not much about it. You know, they'd, they'd be in a lot of trouble. They'd have Russia as partners, maybe. But if the US wanted to, they could impose a naval blockade tomorrow. It's just as simple as that. And so, yeah, that that, that underlines where we are, Australia, that is. And, um, yeah, I think it's going to take take a while for China to re- – I reckon another 20 years, if if at all. The interesting thing about China is what happens politically. You know, like what happens with Xi Jinping? Like does he further implement power or over time just through simple developments in technology does he become weaker because people are aware of the realities around them? You know, like I I speak to a lot of Chinese expats who come here to – Melbourne and Sydney, and they're pretty aware that they live under what's starting to become a regime, and they'd rather live here in Australia. So I'm, I guess I'm curious as to what you think about that. So that's uh, so. What happens politically in China is that uh, it's, I guess, for now, it's hard to see uh, see Xi Jinping losing his grip on power, right? Because he's recently amended mm. the constitution in that he could be uh, a yeah. leader for life, right? And there's one reason why China will never kowtow to America in that the hardliners are making headway all the time every time that China gives into to the US and and the way that US is doing it is just outright in your face. Like recently uh, two is it two days ago or uh, Trump basically tweeted that if Xi Jinping doesn't turn up at the G20 to meet him, doesn't have a meeting with him by the, at the end of the month, uh, he's going to impose more tariffs. I mean, seriously, right? <laughs> how, 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 do, how do you, where, where do you see this ending if he's starting to issue ultimatums to President Xi, Jinping, Xi right? It's, it becomes really difficult for him. Mm. The thing is with the tariffs is they're like the only tool he has because he's got nothing. Every the only you know tool that he can use, he can't impose anything else um, unless he has Congress approval. And it's it's the tariffs is the only thing that he can use as president. Yeah, and it, it doesn't really work, right? It tariffs work. If, no, it hurts you more than it hurts. Yes, correct. Yeah. It doesn't hurt the producers, right? Uh, U.S. is miles away from being second cheapest producer, right? If you are going to impose tariffs on the, the cheapest producer, you should be second or third producer to, to benefit from it, right? So the US is not going to stop, stop consuming. Another nation could be Vietnam or whatever. But if you, uh, China continues to be the cheapest producer, what they'll do is they'll just send it to uh, Vietnam, value add a little bit, Let's say it's a China, Vietnamese product, right? How are you gonna, how are you gonna monitor the supply chain, right? It's difficult, right? Uh, it doesn't really work, uh, and and he is exactly right. Mm-hmm. You know, you you say that's the only tool that he has, but it's also the only tool that his uh, voter base understands, right? It's like ah yeah, let's impose tariffs on this guy, let's punish this guy, 
billions of dollars coming from them. No, they're not paying the tariffs. You are paying the tariffs. The guy who buys the t-shirt is paying the tariffs, right? He's paying, putting it through higher prices. There's no producer who will say, oh yeah, you know, this tariffs, I'm just going to cut my prices to compete. Mm. No, right? They're already mar- razor thin margins. What are you going to do? Uh, but uh, to this political issue, I, I think uh, right now from the state of what the world as I see it right now, I don't see uh, President Xi Jinping losing his grip on power. Right? And again, uh, when you say you're speaking to these expats, right, they are leaving the country because they cannot mm. take this leaving under the regime. But you're th- talking to a self-selected population of the people that are leaving the country, right? Yeah, right. So they're going to say that, right? They're like, ah, I left the country because it's it's just it's just horrible. I cannot live under this regime. Of course, but yeah. People living under this regime that's perfectly perfectly happy with this regime in that it is safe, right? As you say, you say go to Shenzhen and see. If you go to Shenzhen, you'll see something that's really different. Every uh, almost everybody who has not been to China thinks that China is a third world country. Thinks thinks that China is you know is safe. Right, there's no like, and you read a lot of uh, articles, especially in Singapore, Malaysia, all these uh, yeah. Asian countries. You read about Chinese tourists coming and behaving badly. So you think, ah, all these Chinese people, they got rich really, really quick. They are not educated. They are uncouth. But seriously, go to Beijing, go to China, go to go to Shenzhen, and you'll see that, in fact, it is way more at once than many cities in the in this world. Yeah, um, most pe- most people when you get to know them, they're just normal. It's yes, as that. You, you're gonna get you're gonna get bogans everywhere. Yes, of course, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> you, you know, you, you live in Australia, you know, right? Like people in Sydney do not behave like the rest of the Australians from the outback, right? <laughs> it's it's yeah. very different. But you some of course sometimes you come across these guys, right? They'll, they'll be behaving badly because they're privileged. They they made a million dollars through the years selling widgets, right? So suddenly they're traveling the world, but they're not representative of the people. Of China, right? Uh, it's 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 it, of course mm. this it's like we're going back to this extradition laws and all. But let's just say uh, Australia tells Tasmania, you know, if you come to if tell Tasmania, if you come to the con uh, the the mainland, then commit crime, and then you try to hide back, hide in Tasmania, we will have the right to extradite extradite you. Tasmanians are not going to go out in arms and say no, this is unfair, right? It is fair, right? You are part of Australia. It's exactly right. But what you say, yes, you're, you're, these guys are so fearful that the Chinese come in the night to take away the political political dissidents, right? But they are already doing that, as you said, right? Provable, unprovable, but they're doing that. So this law is not just to, it's not to get the political dissidents. Mm. It is to get people who commit crimes in China and run away to Hong Kong thinking they're safe. And right now, they are safe, right? Because there's a two legal system. But... Can you imagine if there is this? Of course, they made a promise they're never going to change the system. They're not going to change the system for 50 years. And it's not yet even 50 years they're, they're implementing this law. But this law is not unfair. It is correct, right? In that no Tasmanian should be able to, to commit crime in Sydney and then run away to Tasmania and assume he's, he's safe. It shouldn't be that way, right? And the, the chief executive of Hong Kong has to approve uh, uh each extradition, right? Uh, mm. So, so there's, there is some recourse if you, it's like if you're a political prisoner, political uh, dissident, you can still, you still have recourse, right? You just cannot, you cannot be just taken away in the night. But if it's obvious things like you commit a capital crime, 
right? You rob a bank and you ran away. Of course, you should be extradited. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely a tricky one. The thing I always think about is where, where could, you know, anytime you want to impose anything new is uh, my viewpoint is what would you, how would you feel if the opposing side was in charge of that or was able to apply that for the next 10 years? And that's what I always think about in politics is how would you feel if the opposing team that you're always against, and I don't really have a team, I've always been pretty down the, down the middle when it comes to politics, how would you feel if they then had that tool that you want to create to use against you for the next 10 years? And I just can't see something like, I, I totally understand what you're saying. There needs to be, you know, there's a case, there was a case actually of a Taiwanese um, person or a, Thai, or a Hong Kong person who'd gone to Taiwan and they committed murder. And because of the fact that there's no, extradition agreement yes, between yeah, the yeah, countries. Yeah. This person has just been able to live there for the last four or five years. And this is literally the reason why this has come about. But the but Taiwan claims that they've just tried to do a deal to this specific case and that it doesn't warrant the need for a whole new law. So it's it's a tricky one. You we I don't know because I'm not on the ground. So but this is this is all super super interesting. Just to back to the point about the global economy, we are in interesting times, and I think you said that earlier. And um, and I think that's why learning from someone like yourself and how you approach these moments, because they're going to change over time as well in the next decade or so, is an invaluable set of skills. And um, like I said in the previous interview, I think people should if they're considering trading definitely have a look at what what you guys are up to um quick question a few quick questions to finish you off any documentaries that you'd recommend to the audience well uh follow what uh, ray dalio puts out the material that he puts out the economic machine yeah it's a good place to start to understand how the world works uh, most of what you learn in iconic texts are outdated and wrong. <laughs> so <laughs> it, 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 it's true, right? Like uh, there's no economic textbooks that I uh, came across in, when I was in college or university that uh, spoke about negative interest rates. And somehow we live in the world where negative interest rate is a norm, right? Like uh, Japan has been there for years and years and they continue to think that's the best policy to <laughs> to have uh, so yeah uh, Ray Dalio the material that he puts out is very good um, documentaries no but uh, books by this guy uh, Sapiens is a good book uh, ah you, Yuval Noah Harari yes great great. Yeah, yeah it's a great book yeah. yeah 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 I love that book that that is one of my all time favourites I actually just bought Ray Dalio's Principles oh okay uh, the, the other week so I'm looking forward to reading that um, but I've got a pile of about yeah. 20 books it's to get through before hard- I do that to read book because it's it's just so long, right? And it, he's but but he's really good, right? But <laughs> it's kind of like um, I read before this guy. He says even if I publish the secrets of trading, I write about it. There's very few people who will follow the principles of of it because just <laughs> that's not what people want. People don't want to do the hard work, right? They just want they, they want a silver ball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They just want something. It's a system. Want some secret, right? <laughs> but if but principles. It's a great book. You're right. It's really a good book. It teaches you a lot of things about life too, right? How you should conduct your life. Mm, yeah. I, I do really like that. Um, if you could have a billboard anywhere in the world, where would it be and what would it say? Billboard? Uh, I think all of us have a billboard, right? 
in that the social media is the global billboard. Uh, <laughs> you, there's, there's, there's really, I think it's, uh, that's, that's how, how the world has changed, right? Everybody with a uh, social media can express their view. I mean, which, I mean, we live in interesting times in that this is the first time in history you can, you can directly message the president of the United States. And, and if your message uh, <laughs> uh, resonates with him, he will respond to you, right? If you, but we know how, how to uh, press his buttons, right? And, you know, he retweets some crazy people, right? Because he agrees with their message. <laughs> this, this, this is the times that we live in. And it's really interesting because on Twitter too, you have some of the best thinkers in the world. And if you engage with them, they will answer your questions, right? So, yeah, it is amazing, right? You can... You can tweet uh, people who write books that yeah, you like. Yeah, it's amazing. They may respond to you. They may be like, oh, yeah, they have an engagement with you. I have a friend who loves the opera and uh, uh, she was following the basically a childhood idol. And then they're now uh, buddies on Twitter, right? The next time she's going to come to New York to perform, they're going to go for drinks, right? <laughs> it's, it's crazy. And it was because she was following diligently and then, uh, providing good feedback on uh, her tweets that uh, the opera singer responded. It's just a strange person. So we do have a billboard, right? We can just talk to, to the, the audience that we want. That's unreal. If you were to put a post out there that everyone had to see on social media, what would it say? Well, uh, actually, what's, uh, the, the, of course, if I put some, political message or whatever is just going to have a huge debate on all right but we have to talk to the audience that uh, uh, I want to address right and I, what the message I would give is true something that you've already said in this podcast is that uh, I think everyone should learn how to trade and invest Every most people think that trading and investing is for, for when I have enough money when I've saved enough money for retirement but the reason why you trade and you invest is so that you will have enough money for retirement, right? The earlier, the earlier you learn how to manage your capital, the earlier you start to invest, the earlier you start to trade, uh, the earlier you understand about risk-reward, about how to profit from events without taking a side of which one is supposed to win out, right? It's better for you, right? Because then if you make your money work for you, you have to work a lot less for money. Right, and then uh, that that would be my message, right? Uh, uh, to, I think financial literacy is severely lacking, right? Mm. Uh, a lot of people they send their children to business schools or they study economics, accounting, and finance with the hope of understanding how it works, but it doesn't. It's all theoretical. How it works in this world is uh, you have to, uh, as you said, right? Uh, as we have spoken. Uh, extensively you have to try to understand what are the uh, downsides of each investment that you're taking it's not how much money I wish to make right? once you know the downside you can think about what what are the upsides right? and then you can weigh them is it worth risking this much money for this uh, potential profit and then you start mm-hmm. to uh, deploy your capital this way uh, and, and it's imperative because uh Money is so cheap these days, right? In that zero rates in almost every country in Australia, you just have a rate cut. 
So it becomes increasingly harder to outpace inflation if you just leave your bank exactly. your money, uh, your money in the bank. Hard. I think I'd, I'd wholeheartedly agree with that. I think it's very important that people learn how to apply capital and make it work for them in the long run. I always think about the law of compounding and how Albert Einstein said it was like the eighth wonder of the world or something, something like that. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. It's the power of compounding. The earlier you start, the more it compounds, right? Yeah. Look, V, thank you so much. Um, I'll make sure or we'll make sure all the links for Track Record Asia are in there um, as per last time. I think Twitter and LinkedIn is the, are the best places to find you guys. Um, but yeah, thanks for thanks for coming on again. Okay, thanks very much. Thank, take all care. Right. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Margin Call. Before you run off, make sure you subscribe on your podcast app to get first access to new episodes. And consider sharing this with a friend who loves the Forex CFD game. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube by searching Go Markets. That's G O M A R K E T S. Until next time, thanks for listening.